Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, coming to you from Lockdown London and connected via the magnificent power of technology with my wonderful co-host and dear friend, Carrie Plitt, who's beaming in from Oxford and who I miss terribly. And I feel like these intros have got longer and more florid the longer it's been since I've been able to see you in person. (laughs) Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I miss you too, and I also consider you a dear friend. Um, Thank God. (laughs) I just, do you know what, I just said I'm doing really well. I'm not doing really well, but I'm (laughs) obviously on autopilot and happy to see you. Um, Do you know what was really cheering, actually, was I was on a socially distanced walk with a friend today who listens to the show, Claire. Hi, Claire. Hi, Claire. And she said that she has an image of in her mind of us sitting in the studio together when she listens to the podcast. And even after we've switched to internet, she still thinks of us as sitting in the studio together. That's so nice. nice. That is so nice. And I wish it were true. (laughs) (laughs) But So that's what I'm going to sort of try to channel during this recording. But it's interesting. They have lifted some restrictions in the UK now, and we can now go on socially distanced walks with friends. And I thought that was going to be this immense relief And it's been really lovely to see some of my friends who I haven't seen in a long time. But I don't know if it's been a relief. It's been almost wearying in a weird way. Do you feel that at all? I do. It's really, it's frustrating. It's a bit like the marshmallow test, you know, (laughs) like they're in front of you. And but then the, the not being able to touch one another and having to maintain this physical distance when it's especially when you're faced with someone who you're used to being physically intimate with and who you haven't seen for so long you know overriding that instinct to wrap your arms around somebody it can feel kind of cold almost and it's not enough right it's just it's not enough yeah and it's confusing too because you don't have a hug at the beginning or end of the time that you're spending with each other and also I think just it's made me realize how incremental all of this is going to be. Um, We're not going to have a big moment of release and that's sad. Yeah. But I went swimming for the last two days in a row. Stop it. I'm so envious. I've been jumping in the river. It's just made me very happy. So there are some good things. Yeah. That's a really, really good thing. I I have no idea when they'll be opening swimming pools and ponds in the city, but the minute they do, I'll be first in the line. How are you doing otherwise? Similar, man. I'm exhausted um, by it and furious with the government. Um, <laughs> missing my friends, loving the moments that I've been able to spend with with the ones that I've been able to see. But similarly, you know, frustrated by by it. And I think I think I'm finding the burden of personal responsibility very, very wearing, actually. it It's much simpler when it's just stay inside, don't be a fucking idiot right but this um this kind of step towards something different feels like it's very easy to get it wrong and I think the mental disconnect I've been having is when I'm when I'm with someone who who I love dearly because being proximate to them again tricks my brain into maybe thinking that things are going to be normal again and then I have to consistently remind myself no don't touch them no don't touch them like no don't it's not normal so it's it's almost kind of stressing in a different way Mm. not that I want to go back to before but do you know what I mean it's complicated I think basically I'm finding it complicated um yeah I know exactly what you mean it's exhausting and you can never be good enough 
yeah. you're always going to make some sort of mistake because there are just tiny little things. You're going to touch something. You're going to get a little bit closer to someone than you're supposed to. And so you can never fully feel relaxed in your ability to do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you one thing that brought me a lot of pleasure though yesterday was that I made myself an iced coffee and mm. I took it for a goddamn walk. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so connected to my like 26 year old self for some reason it was just the sunshine and I was in the park and I had a moment with this like very sensory experience of the iced coffee and I like I feel like I started drinking iced coffee when I was in New York so I felt myself connected to there and my friends there and it was just it was a moment of sweet relief and I was lifted above coronavirus and I was lifted out of this dystopia and I just had this moment of like pure joy. Um, and I've been living off that ever since. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear it. Well, with that note of iced coffee joy, yeah, baby. I welcome all of our listeners to Minnesota 14. Here we are, lucky 14. That's not a number. <laughs> That's lucky, but I'm making it lucky. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> As ever, please bear with us on the sound quality front. We're not quite in our closets, but it's all pretty makeshift. And Octavia's recorder playing neighbor I have heard has recently also taken up tap dancing is that true it's absolutely true I mean we <laughs> forgive her because she's a teenager stuck with her parents but like it's a I mean it's comedy it's extraordinary it makes me laugh yeah. I have enj been enjoying it at least <laughs> through your text so thank you but we will figure it out and whether you're new to the show or an old hand welcome Thanks for tuning in. The format for these mini-sodes between full shows is for the next half hour or so. We'll first have an informal conversation about something book-related and anything else that might come up in that conversation. And then we'll recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately with the usual musical interludes chosen by Eddie. That's right. And we're here today to talk a bit more about intimacy, actually, which was the theme of our last show with Garth Greenwell. And when we started thinking about it, we realized there was a bigger conversation we wanted to have because it feels so necessary right now. And it seemed to resonate a lot with with those of you listening, which is wonderful to, to hear from you. And, you know, there are so many different ways to experience intimacy, right, with other people, with oneself, with books. I think there's a way you can be intimate with an idea, using language in all kinds of ways. And it's been on our minds a lot lately as we wade through all of this uncertainty. So we'll be back in a moment with some great intimacy related chat <laughs> <laughs> what an advertisement i don't know where that came from i feel like that was someone else speaking through me anyway we'll be back shortly <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Picador. As we've discussed on the podcast in recent episodes, there have been a variety of ways that reading habits have changed due to the current situation. Some readers have chosen to immerse themselves in an epic novel as a distraction. That's certainly what I'm doing. Whereas others are rediscovering audiobooks. That's right. And also, a lot of people I know have really got back into shorter fiction because, you know, attention spans are shortened and stressed and doing different things. And our sponsors, Picador, are celebrating short stories in partnership with Influx Press and Burley Fisher Books with a series of Instagram live events called Short Stories for Strange Times. 
Events so far have included Wendy Erskine, Fernando Strigotti, Julia Armfield, and Ely Williams, which is a really fantastic lineup. Um, and they're perfect for anyone looking to discover exciting new writing to help them through these uncertain times, all of which can be purchased through the brilliant independent bookshop, Burley Fisher Books. We are big fans of Burley Fisher Books. We love Burley Fisher Books. So check out at Picador Books or at Influx Press on Instagram for information about upcoming events. Hello, and welcome back to Literary Friction, Minisode 14. Carrie and I are back to talk to you about intimacy, because we haven't stopped thinking about it. And if anything, the fact that under the new measures, we can see some friends, but only in a triangle, and if the moon is waxing on a Tuesday, and everyone brings mint, but only one person brings rosemary, but not touch them, (laughs) has brought it even more front and centre. And I feel like now we're like, little avatars in a computer game where we stand two meters apart and just emote at each other (laughs) and it's strange because actually it's got me thinking that there's a different kind of intimacy to that you know standing exposed with emotion but unable to touch each other it kind of reminds me of the therapeutic setup where you sit at a distance from another human being and display your emotions and they just hold them for you but they don't comfort you necessarily and they don't you know all of those modes of communicating that involve the body speaking instead of the voice are not in play in therapy. So I kind of feel like we're we're cast in these roles with each other where we sort of, our bodies feel very impotent suddenly, don't they? And it's, we have to mm. convey everything through language and, you know, gurning, if you're me, like just <laughs> grinning at someone <laughs> through a screen or like in the road or whatever. But anyway, we we were thinking in our last show about how books can be a tool for intimacy in and of themselves and we had more to say about it so let's start with a straight question Carrie how do you think books create intimacy well I wanted to move on beyond what we talked about in the last show which I think was more about which writers were particularly good at creating intimacy both in their writing and with readers and sort of how to create intimate writing and so I was thinking about how do books create intimacy between people? Which was something we touched on last time. And you talked about that amazing experience you had of reading the John Berger novella to your dad. So, okay, how do books create intimacy? I think first and foremost, they're both a means and a reason for communication. Reading can be an intimate act. And I think that is one of the reasons why sharing books with people is also such an intimate act because we're aware of the kind of intimacy needed to engage with a book. And therefore, if we can engage with each other about that very intimate experience, we create an intimate experience in itself. It's also because books, you know, books are an investment. They take time. They take concentration. It takes hours to read a book. And it's not just sitting in front of a TV. And I think that's another way that we, you know, even at a distance, can really share an experience with someone. We've both chosen to pick up that book again and again and again and really get through it and engage with it. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to get to know people better and share experiences with them. I also think that books, and this came up when we talked about red flags uh, on an earlier minisode, are a really great way to build intimacy because they're a, kind of a shortcut to sharing our personality 
with someone through our tastes and our passions. Um, when we tell someone that we like a book, we're telling them a lot more about ourselves and our preferences and our loves and our dislikes too. And one of the joys of being a human is getting to know someone. And how do you get to know someone? It's partially through the things that they love. I love getting to know someone through the books that they love and reading the books that they love maybe if I haven't read them myself. And finally, that kind of takes me to my third point in a very non-exhaustive list, which is that you can create intimacy by giving a book to someone. It's my favorite gift to give. Um, it's a big part of how my family give gifts to each other and I love giving them books and nothing is better than when they come back to me and say I love that thing that you gave me yeah it's a really wonderful feeling isn't it and I guess like you say you know you have to dedicate hours to reading a book so in making that commitment to somebody by taking the gift you've given they've given you seriously you are kind of stating your intent to, to pursuing that intimacy right um definitely although I do wonder like I think about I was thinking about that Red Flags episode as well and thinking about how the way that books are used in flirtation and it's maybe not that honest. <laughs> the books that you choose to give to someone who you're yeah. seducing, like it's not. Yeah. So you can also create a kind of false intimacy through books if you want to be like, yeah, 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 here, uh, let me give you this excellent Schopenhauer, you know, or if you gave I don't, someone... I don't know if I'd be interested in you if you gave me Schopenhauer. I mean, I've never given anyone Schopenhauer. <laughs> I did actually though, I did. So I did give an ex-boyfriend, The Master of Margarita, which is one of my dearest and most treasured books. And we were together for a number of years and he never read it, mm. which I think is a red flag. <laughs> Although I, ha I am on the other side of that equation, which is that my boyfriend in college was obsessed with Graham Greene and gave me the end of the affair as a present once and wrote like a really lovely note inside of it and was like, I know what this might look like, but actually I am giving this to you because of all of these reasons, blah, 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 blah. I never read it the entire time we were together and I read it years later. And of course now it's one of my favorite books, but I sometimes gotcha. there's like the weight of. No, I of totally that. think so. I think you're absolutely right. I also think that it, it was when I think back to giving that book to that person, it was not about him. It was about me. You know, it wasn't, uh, I'm giving you this book because I think you'll love it. It was, I was young and I think it was like, I'm giving you this book because I want you to understand me better by reading it. And that's not a very, it's not a bad impulse to give someone a book, but I think you need to make it clear. <laughs> that's why you're doing it. Because actually come to think of it, of course he didn't read it. It's not surprising that he didn't enjoy that book. That wasn't his style of literature. You know, he was a big reader of Hemingway, very different vibe. But yeah, I think, I think the other thing that makes books a kind of catalyst for intimacy is that even if it's not a book that you've given someone but let's say you meet someone for the first time at a dinner party or god knows what where wherever where do you meet people <laughs> who are people no. what do you mean <laughs> where do you meet people that's not a tiny screen chat roulette. A computer yeah exactly <laughs> i have actually been tempted to go back to chat roulette lately i think it might be thriving these days i think it is thriving With but yeah. yeah i don't want so many dicks in my face that's really <laughs> what it comes down to anyway Back in the days where you used to meet people in real life in situations where you were communally together, um, I I love when you get to talk talk to someone about books rather than, you know, the more kind of concrete details of their lives because immediately you're talking about ideas. 
which I think is a much more intimate detail, you know, learning how someone thinks even in a momentary encounter rather than learning what their job is and what route they took to get there, which is my least favorite topic of small talk. So I'd much rather ask someone, you know, what what kind of books they enjoy reading or what they enjoy thinking about than what they do. Because I, I also think this emphasis on what someone does is such a kind of capitalist careerist frame through which to understand someone. And there are lots of people, it kind of assumes that everyone's job is their choice or the main thing in their life, which is very wrongheaded. And a lot of people are working to get by. And then, you know, what thrills them is extraneous to their working life. And that's what you want to get at, you know, like, not what do you do, but what do you do for pleasure or like what in, what interests you? Octavia Bright cutting through the bullshit. I That's love it. That's right. No I, <laughs> no, I really agree. And I see that as particularly American. I mean, I know people in the UK still do it, but I was very refreshed when I moved here that when I was at a party, the first thing people asked me wasn't necessarily what do you do? Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And if someone does ask me what I do, I have to say I tend to get quite obtuse and um, irritating <laughs> because I don't I don't know this I find it actually kind of an intrusive question because I immediately think they're trying to peg me in some way when mm. actually probably no it's just someone taking an interest right like it's easy for me to be contrary about it but I would rather talk about books the other thing is my old psychiatrist used to describe intimacy in this hilariously cringe and naff way but it's actually also very accurate which is uh, now listen class into me see oh no <laughs> I know oh. I know and like awkward um but also it's stuck with me because these kind of psych slogans often do and there is something there is something in that image of it being you know that that real intimacy is letting somebody in and it's letting somebody see through an exterior into what's going on underneath that and so when you apply that to thinking about reading and books, you know, it's a profound act of intimacy. First of all, maybe with a character who you get to see inside their mind, you truly like get to almost lift their brain, the skull off and look in their brain. And, you know, that's one of the great pleasures of reading is that it creates this this fiction that obviously can't happen in reality where, you know, we can never know what's inside someone else's head in reality. But in fiction, we get this you know, we get to experience omnipotence in a way that's impossible. And that can feel like an intimacy. But also, you know, you get to see inside the mind of the author through reading their work. And that means you 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 also create a very one-sided intimacy with a writer, especially if you read all of their work throughout their career. You know, you get a real sense of this person's changing psyche and changing character. So I think, yeah, I think that's, for me, that's one of the kind of main reasons that intimacy and reading and writing are so kind of deeply connected. Yes. And I love that you illustrated that with such a erudite pun. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Sturgeon. We give Dr. Sturgeon all of our thanks for that one. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I love your shade for the like psychoanalytic edifice. Do you love it though? No, I mean, it amuses me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the same? I don't know. It's interesting to me. I love your shade about my um, shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> is this intimacy? Filtered through interest. <laughs> I think this is intimacy in action. This is intimacy. <laughs> Why do my hands feel so clammy then? <laughs> um, my next question for you, Miss Carrie Plitt, is yes. has the way you think about intimacy changed after going through lockdown? Yeah, totally. Um, but not in necessarily the ways I expected, Octavia. 
let me tell you. I mean, it's certainly made me think about how physical I am and how much I enjoy touching other people and how naturally that comes to me and how difficult it is, as we were talking about when it's taken away. But one of the things that's really surprised me intimacy-wise during this period is I assumed that I would struggle to find intimacy during this experience because of the physical separation from so many of my friends and family that I love. And that has happened in some ways, but I I feel a lot closer to friends and family in a way that I didn't necessarily expect. I mean, I think it's partially because we're all going through the same experience and there's never been a time when that's happened before in, in our lives. But it's also because I've just connected in really deep ways with people who I just usually don't talk to or see that much, especially a lot of my friends in the States who I love very much, but don't usually have video conversations or, you know, we might text once in a while, but we don't spend time really talking to one another. And for that reason, it's been a blessing in some ways to reconnect because it doesn't matter how proximate I am to someone anymore. And those friendships that you sort of let incubate a bit because you're not there in the room with someone have blossomed again. That was a very mixed metaphor, but you know what I mean. How about you, Octavia? Yeah, I mean, similarly, actually, I think there's something in times of crisis that makes people want to reach out and be closer in one way or another, right? And and that need to find emotional anchoring in our relationships and the relationships that, that have been meaningful in the past. I think a lot of people have been doing a lot of reflecting. I, a, a couple of my friends have actually had quite kind of wildly out of the blue Uh, atonement emails from people from their past who did like a bad boss or an ex-boyfriend or something and it's been really interesting that people have been reflecting in that way but yeah I think similarly it's it's to do with a shared experience isn't it and the fact that we there's no it feels like for anyone who suffers from uh, shame around their feelings or or finds it hard to express themselves I feel like there's been a, a a door opened for everyone to just be in a more vulnerable and emotional place with one another even in work connections I found that and I've really enjoyed that kind of mutual softening that's been happening and I think that yeah there's something that maybe we can carry with us moving forward from this crisis one way or another and in a lack of fear around just being clear with someone about where you're at and not you know you're not demanding that they carry you but Mm. being able to say like I've had a rough day or I just think it makes an honesty of communication more the norm actually which I've been really enjoying I think also for me I we've been hearing a lot more from from you guys from listeners and that has been a wonderful wonderful gift actually because you know when you make radio you hope that people are listening but it's a very kind of abstract thought most of the time and hearing that listening to the show has been helpful to people through this time and that it's brought some companionship and and some distraction has meant more to me than I mean I obviously it's always wonderful to get feedback on your work but it's meant more to me than I would have expected actually because it's really made me feel that bond with whether it's five or five hundred people listening or five five million (laughs) lol (laughs) but you know um it's that I feel a sense of the collective in this experience in a way that I think when life is at its normal pace, I don't, I don't really connect with that idea very much. And I think, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and the voice is such an intimate medium. It's so close. And, you know, you, you're sometimes listening to it when you're in quite a liminal state, you know, like relaxing or close to sleep or something like that. 
And so I've suddenly it's kind of snapped me into reflecting that maybe that's how people respond to my voice and your voice sometimes. And that's a really beautiful feeling. Yeah, it is. It's it's really wonderful. And it gives me some sense of purpose as well. Massively so. Which is really important right now. Yeah, exactly. What about like, can books, yeah, I guess can books ever be a substitute for, for real life intimacy? Well, they seem like such different things, don't they? Not that one is better than the other, but I think they're complementary. I also think what I have realized through this whole experience is that to really create intimacy, you need to spend time with someone, at least in the first instance. And reading and reading alongside someone and talking on the phone and, um, you know, seeing each other on Zoom is a way of deepening intimacy. But I I don't know if it's a way of starting it. Yeah, it's complicated, isn't it? I think that I think it's the way that a lot of romantic intimacy starts for people now anyway, because of online dating. Um, but obviously the, that you would hope would progress to uh, meeting up in real life. And I know when I was on the apps a long time ago now, but uh, there would, you know, sometimes there would be a, a profound kind of like a, almost a frenetic intimacy built through voice notes and constant texting. And then we would meet in real life and there would be, the full three-dimensional reality of this other person that would just throw that into such stark relief and you'd realize that it wasn't real intimacy at all it was heady and exciting but it was a complete fantasy and now the person is in front of you and you can interact with them on like a pheromonal level and you don't find each other attractive at all (laughs) or the reality of you know of of the yeah the three-dimensionality of them I guess and I think that's a thing that happens when when your intimacies end up being flattened like this. And that's why books can be such a perfect vehicle for fantasies of intimacy that could never really happen in reality, right? Because it's one, it's one way and it's a capture, it's a captured version of a person and they never have to become fully fleshed out in a way that, you know, because real intimacy is dedication and commitment in some ways, isn't it? It's like a commitment to knowing someone in their fullness which means knowing things about them that don't feel good or comfortable or that don't sit easily. But you persevere if you care and you really want to get the full kind of sense of someone. I think you're right that it's very hard to start an intimacy and for it to really, really deepen just through writing or words or or screens. And I think, you know, intimacy is is something that combats loneliness, right? And reading and books if you're really isolated reading can provide companionship and it can provide escape from loneliness but ultimately it's never going to be as satisfying obviously as a relationship that's reciprocal with another human being yeah I think you're so right about that one of the ways in which I was thinking that reading and intimacy in real life really can go along together is reading aloud or being read to and I wanted to ask you about that. Do you do you think that's an intimate act? And do you like reading to people or being read to? I do. Yeah, I love it. And I do it all the time. I mean, it's I think something that for me, and I think the same for you, is very connected to childhood, because we both had parents who read to us, right, which is a wonderful thing you can do for a child if there's a child in your life, and it allows children to have access to imaginative worlds before they can read for themselves. And it kind of instills in a kid a a relationship with storytelling that I think is a, is a beautiful gift to give a person. I love being read to by other people. However, not if I don't like them. 
<laughs> because it is so intimate and I've I've had I've actually it's interesting I've had that in um flirtations and kind of romantic connections in the past and it's been the moment that I've realized I don't fancy the person at all is when they have um have decided to read something to me and they put on a like reading voice and I it's you know you know what it is when you like someone you like everything that they do at the beginning and when there's that moment of of rupture when you realize actually no god and for me it's it's being read to is because it's so in because it is so intimate and because it's so tender you know and there's something kind of horrifying in tenderness from someone that you don't want it from you know <laughs> i feel like this is very revealing um but yeah and i i read you know like i said in the in the other show but i it bears repeating i think i read to my my dad a lot um, who has Alzheimer's and and who I'm separated from at the moment, and it's a way of connecting with him that takes the burden off his adult mind and also my kind of emotionally stressed mind, and it it creates a, a bridge with my voice to him and his voice to me when he responds, and it's very powerful. So yeah, I'm really into it. What about you, love? What do you think? As you said, I my parents read to me, and I loved being read to as a kid. It was a really special thing. I don't know if I love it as much as you do, knowing you quite well. I think it's a very, very powerful thing for you. I think you you love reading to people and you love being read to. And I find as an adult, I, I may be less interested in it and I don't seek it out as much. I have so little tolerance for, again, I really shouldn't reveal this as a literary agent, but I, I've probably said it like 10 times on the show and every time said I shouldn't reveal it. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't really like literary readings. I find them very boring. My mind wanders. Unless somebody's a really good reader, it's just kind of torturous to sit there listening to somebody read from their work, which is not to say I don't love their work, but I just think it's a bad format and, and a lot of books shouldn't be read aloud by their own authors. <laughs> I love, I just think it's a bad format. <laughs> there goes the entire live event literary industry. Or Funny. like, it's fine if I read for like five minutes. That's great. Give me a taste of the book. But 10, 15 minute readings. Oh my God. Also, yeah, it's that poetry voice thing, isn't it? It's yeah. sometimes really embarrassing to listen to somebody else read, especially if they have a certain way of reading that is a little bit fake or pretentious actually pretentious is the thing isn't it it's yeah. like when people read stuff as as though they're reading the bible or something and you just think no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please no yeah and I guess maybe one of the reasons why I feel I'm less excited about it is because of the potential for embarrassment you know it's so easy to get it wrong so maybe I just shy away from it now. But maybe that's one of the great pleasures and joys of reading to children is children just aren't as judgmental and they love being read to. And you can uh, you can really go all out with your your voices and your drama without it being something that is exposing or embarrassing. Yeah, definitely. Also, children just want your attention all the time. And being read to as a child you know you have this adult's captive attention for the duration of the book that they're reading you or the chapter and I think that's part of it right and that's the intimacy of it as well that it's like a gift that they're giving you whereas a reading in a room full of crowded people you're not a rapt audience necessarily if your mind is wandering and there's lots of people and it's not for you it's I think it's a different scenario isn't it whenever you read for me I love it 
Oh, I love good. when you read poetry to me. <laughs> That's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you were secretly sitting there thinking, oh, this pretentious bitch. I wish she'd shut up. I'm so embarrassed for her right now. <laughs> no, I never think that about you. Good. I never think that about you either. And I would say if I did, I think. I think you would too. I mean, I hope you would. Maybe not on the radio, but... <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> Privately <laughs> and kindly. That's right. Privately and with gentleness. Well, we, we sorted intimacy once again, Octavia. Well done. We did. I'm, I'm pleased with us. Job done. I'd shake your hand if I could, but... <laughs> I would hug you if I could. Oh, much better. <laughs> Hello again, Carrie and I are back to give you our general cultural recommendations, which are just basically stuff that we've enjoyed lately that are not reading. And um, obviously, again, the theme is very much to do with location at the moment. Um, But these are things that we've enjoyed from the privacy of our own homes. So Carrie, tell me, hit me with your first one. My first recommendation is something that has really delighted me in the last month, which is the digital celebration of Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday, which is called Take Me to the World. It aired live on the 26th of April, but it is now available on YouTube. I mean, this is just so on brand for you. I'm like <laughs> floored, but I love Stephen Sondheim. He's an, he's an extraordinary lyricist. Okay, so you probably know about this already. I it have was to, to admit that I, I didn't know about it already. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about it. It was to benefit a charity called A-Step, and all of the starriest of the stars of the Broadway stage contributed songs from Sondheim's repertoire. You may have heard of it, but not known what it was from. Did you see the memes of Meryl Streep, like, drinking a cocktail? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm she... thinking of the ones of Meryl Streep as food, but that's something different. No, no, that's different. Meryl Streep, Christine Baranski, and Audra McDonald did a version of Ladies Who Lunch over Zoom, which was amazing. Oh, that's really fun. There were a number of other very delightful pieces, all of which I cannot tell you without boring you. But if if you are interested in Stephen Sondheim and interested in this really exciting cultural event that I think won't ever happen again because of the circumstances we're in, Elizabeth Stanley doing The Miller's Son from A Little Night Music was amazing. And Beanie Feldstein and Ben Platt did It Takes Two from Into the Woods, and it was really great. Um, they're both amazing singers. And these stripped-down versions of the songs really made you think about what a great lyricist Sondheim is. And also, they really hold up even with just a piano accompaniment or even, like, acapella. Mandy Patankin did an, an acapella version of a song, like, with his dog in the woods, and it was still great. And he is such a, he's just such a great describer of unresolved feelings. Yeah, that's a great way of, of capturing it. He is. He's a, he's a really magical talent. And it it was, I think, somehow more emotional. If it had been a really starry gala, it would have been great. But it was really emotional to see everyone singing these songs in their homes. So check it out. I and I've I've gone back to it and and watched it again and just enjoyed it so much. So, and it's on yeah, YouTube. That made me happy. It's on YouTube. It's called "Take Me to the World." Okay, I, I will. I will actually do that. 
Okay, what's your first recommendation? <laughs> Mine is not a very original one because I feel like everyone's been talking about this this last week, but it's The Last Dance, which is the the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix. And basically, I've fallen really quite deeply in love with a man named Phil Jackson. And this program <laughs> is why. But I will get to him in a minute. Basically, if you haven't heard about this yet, it's... I And, and I'm also going to preface this by saying I'm not a basketball fan ordinarily. And... um. I have found this program completely transporting. So it's a documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And it's really following their 1997 to 1998 season, which was supposedly going to be the eponymous last dance of their kind of career as a team. But it also takes you through Jordan's whole timeline from when he was an emerging player to becoming this global superstar and kind of capitalist phenomenon in a lot of ways. But it's also a beautiful kind of little portrait each episode is a little portrait of a different member of the team and then you meet Phil Jackson who basically sort of steals the show for me he's the coach um, or one of their coaches and he is this incredibly gentle kind enlightened guide to these extraordinary athletes and he's a hippie at heart at one point you learn that he enjoys psychedelics and kind of brings a lot of philosophy and Native American philosophy in particular into how he interacts with the players and how he coaches them and he his whole sort of thing is like understanding each individual player and helping them find their flow and what it is that makes them a unique cog in this giant wheel of this team but also aside from that just watching clips of these unbelievable athletes and their like mind-blowing talent actually and also at this period of time when they were really at the top of their game and you see the team evolve and you see the way they all work together and also it's just so tactile which in this moment of like zero tactility is like thrilling I think and it's just yeah they, and they cut these wonderful clips of of all the dunks and the games and stuff to really great music so it's kind of has this hyped feel to it there have been criticisms and I think they're pretty fair that it's more of a kind of hagiography of Jordan than it is documentary. And it's definitely worth bearing in mind that Jordan's production company are actually co-producers of the show, but they're not listed in the credits, which is, you know, journalistically like a little questionable. Make of that what you will. But honestly, I'm enjoying the whole thing so much that I don't think I mind. And I'm not really watching it for the kind of sports history. I'm just in it for the glory I guess and the thrill yeah I love it I'm I've got a few episodes left and I know I'm going to be really sad when it's over in it for the glory the Octavia Bright story no (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching it too it's really great and I am also not really a basketball fan it's made me interested in basketball and I love Scottie Pippen um I I love love that I don't yeah it's great when you don't actually know what happened in history of sports because every game they have, I'm like, what's going to happen? I have no idea. So it feels like I'm watching it in real time. I agree with you that it's just, it's great at making you think about the physical feats involved in being a great basketball player and not just as an individual, but as a team. And the dedication yeah. and focus of these individuals. Yeah. Also, I feel like Jordan kind of hoists himself on his own petard. Yeah. He doesn't think, come off that well. Yeah, he doesn't, does he? He comes across as a co- complicated guy, right? Which for yeah. sure he is. Whereas Scotty Pippen, what a dream. Ugh. What a dream of a man. Dream. Also, listen, this is for anyone who does follow basketball, going to reveal my complete ignorance, but I was not really aware of Dennis Rodman as a character and as a human being or a character, but I'm fascinated by him. He's where I've got to up in the show. He, he's kind of displayed this queer energy that is like, quite unlikely and very surprising and 
I don't know. I don't know what what his deal is now, but I'm interested in him too. Yeah, it's been interesting for me as somebody who is very aware of Dennis Rodman just as a cultural figure in the 90s as a kid in America, um, sort of peeling back and seeing behind that and seeing also what a good basketball player he was, because I don't think that really came through in like Seventeen Magazine or however I was (laughs) engaging with Dennis Rodman at the time. So, yeah, yeah, it's really good. It is really good. What's your next one? My next recommendation is a movie called Human Traffic directed by Justin Kerrigan. Have you seen it? I have seen it, but not yeah. for a long time. I saw it years and years ago. I think yeah. maybe in the 90s did I see it. Possibly. It was made in 99. So Yeah, okay. I, no, I, I would have I been a bit older than that. I think, yeah. yeah, early 2000s. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of it. But for some reason, it came up in conversation. And Eddie was like, oh, we should watch this movie. So we watched it. And I'd really recommend it to anyone looking for a bit of vicarious clubbing (laughs) and and touching (laughs) lockdown yeah so as I said it was made in 99 it's a it's basically about 90s rave culture like the second summer of love in the UK specifically follows a group of friends over one weekend in Cardiff as they go out and take loads of drugs and have sex with each other and are angry about their parents and the world I mean it's not a perfect movie by any means it's kind of train spotting light um there's definitely less biting humor it's not super sophisticated in terms of its social commentary there are also some very funny like experimental tracking shots and fisheye lenses that feel like the work of a first-time director that's amazing but yeah that's kind of what i remember bucket yeah. hats and fisheye lenses that's kind oh of, yeah yeah, bucket hat. yeah. <laughs> But it just, well, it just feels so specific to itself, which I really love, like capturing a time and a feeling and a place in a way that, I don't know, you just don't seem to see as much in movies anymore. And also it does get that feeling of like being in a sweaty room with other sweaty people, feeling the music, meaningless chats that you have at after parties. It's just like that whole experience of being out and, you you know, whether you're on drugs or not the feeling of being with other people and releasing with other people that I really have been craving under lockdown and, you know, watching a movie about it is not the same as doing it, but it felt, felt good. It has a young Danny Dyer in it, which is hilarious. Yeah. And the soundtrack is really good and you can also just watch it on YouTube. So that's why not take 90 minutes of your life and just check out human traffic. (laughs) Octavia, what is your next recommendation? My next thing is actually it's also to do with music. Um, if if that's if that's a segue that I'm allowed. I've been missing NTS. I've been missing going into the studio and just being in that kind of creative environment. And I also get often very paralyzed when it comes to music and choosing what to listen to and I listen to the same four playlists over and over and over again which don't get me wrong I love Groove Armada but also there are more bands in the world and I've been so I've been really like taking pleasure in getting into the NTS archive and have found especially Marshmello's show Midnight Marauders which I've always loved but I had kind of lost track of a little bit um, recently and I've just been listening to her streaming the back catalogue of her shows and she has honestly such great taste in music her shows are always really eclectic but incredibly thoughtful and well put together and I yeah I just really love her vibe and the other day I had to tackle the monster that is my inbox and I played her most recent show while I did it and it just helped me reach that kind of flow state that you need when you're dealing with that 
awful awful tech overwhelm you know mm. so anyway that they're, they're brilliant shows and obviously there's so much on the mts website there are so many brilliant djs but you can play everything back on the on the site at mts.live and it's yeah it's just a fantastic resource especially with working from home and if you want to create that ambient buzz of being in a room with other people you know but you don't want to have to engage your brain enough to think what do I want to listen to right now it's just perfect I've never listened to her show but I'm going to now yeah I think you'd really love it she's great she's just a brilliant brilliant person what's your last one babe my last one is playing games online with your friends online I know everyone's exhausted by Zooming. I certainly am. I love seeing my friends, but video chatting just isn't the same and it takes a lot out of me. But I have found that some of the best socializing that I've done since lockdown has been while playing games and chatting on video with my friends because it basically gives you all something to focus on. So it's not that intense, like we all have to talk about how we're doing, especially in groups. And it's fun. It's just a way to like have some fun and not worry too much and still interact with each other. So yeah, if you are into board games, I not I know not everyone is, but if you like cards or board games, I've just I've just really been enjoying it. I would recommend playing Hearts. Um, we've been using a site called Cards Mania, and then you just put the little strip of your Zoom in in one side of your screen so you can see everyone, but you're also playing the game. Saboteur on Board Game Media, which is a really fun game to play about um, dwarves who are trying to find gold. And also this game called Codenames, which you might have played before, where you're trying to guess words on boards, kind of like Team Battleship is a great group option. So yeah, do it. That sounds fun. I have done exactly none of that. So <laughs> maybe it's a good option. Strike me as like the type to do it. Yeah. I mean that in a nice way. I I'm gonna choose to take it that way. No, I <laughs> I I love playing games sometimes, but it's not my go-to at all. So it's not something I would necessarily think of doing. I've noticed everyone's been doing endless quizzes, which is also something that's slightly beyond me, I think. <laughs> Yeah, the quizzes I find less exciting. Um, yeah, I don't really get the very, It's just very involved. You yeah, know? I've in, I've enjoyed seeing the fruits of other people's quizzes, like when people dress up as film posters and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe I'll try it. I probably won't try it, Carrie. I probably won't. I I don't feel attached to you trying online game <laughs> is this not you inviting me to play cards mania if you, would like to, if you want to play some cards with me i am there in a second okay listen i'd actually really like to play some cards with you okay great okay it's a date okay <laughs> my last thing is um this the paintings of this artist called agnes pelton who the Whitney was about to have a big exhibition of her work called Desert Transcendentalist. And they haven't actually made it accessible online yet. So I'm not I'm not saying go and look at a hundred pieces of her work. They have a couple of examples in their um, permanent collection. I think it's their permanent collection. Anyway, they've got a couple of examples of her work on their website. And I have just been staring at these paintings and they have been offering me something really special. And I can't wait until they open the gates online or whatever so we can see more but she was basically this incredibly fascinating person she was a symbolist and she went to the desert to find enlightenment and she uses painting as a way of giving shape to her higher consciousness so she was very invested in meditation and painting the visions that came to her 
And, you know, in the hands of a less skilled artist, that could be an absolute fucking shit show, let's be honest. But she has this wonderful sensitivity to color and shape and depth. And the results are incredibly beautiful, richly colored abstract scenes of energy flows and shapes and certain motifs that come back. But the main thing is, I think that they are works that work on screen and looking at them on a screen, you don't feel the loss of being able to go and see them in reality. And I'm sure, you know, like all art, if you could really stand in front of it, it would be a different experience and probably a more fulsome experience. But there's something about them that works on a screen and still feels transporting and still feels kind of meditative and calming. And I just, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm going to order the catalogue for the show, even if even if I can't ever go to it. But um, yeah, Agnes Pelton, if you want moments of reflection and something beautiful to look at that doesn't demand very much of you, but actually might offer you a lot, I'd really recommend it. That's, she sounds great and I've never heard of her. I'd never I heard of her either. And I, her paintings. Yeah, I stumbled there through a review of something by uh, an American art critic whose name I've completely forgotten. Roberta, somebody. Forget yeah. Peloton. Hey. Go see Agnes Pelton. No, <laughs> wow we've come to the end of the show (laughs) that is all the time we have for today big thanks to eddie knight for editing and music and to you carrie plitt for staring at me through the power of facetime while we record this show no thanks needed great all a pleasure (laughs) literary friction is available as a podcast to download on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to stream on nts.live you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You can also get in touch with us on email, litfriction at gmail.com. And I should also say thanks to you, Octavia. Oh. I didn't mean to receive and not give. <laughs> you can, though, but thank you. Thanks, thanks. We'll be back in two weeks with Carmen Maria Machado, which is very, very exciting. But until then, I'm Octavia Bright with Carrie Plitt, and this is Literary Friction. Literary Friction.